It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Jason Robel and Whitney Lauritsen. I feel, though, that, Yoko, you're a woman of many, many talents, known and unknown. Ah, and well, yeah. shall we explore the unknown? <laughs> That's what we're exactly. I've got my fake fur That's on exactly. the bed. I was thinking just like sprawling out there and stretching my <laughs> my arms out and... <laughs> That's going to be the podcast that way. That's, my that's what I was thinking, actually. From bed on yeah. Miyoko's faux fur coat. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> we did this episode on her fur coat. But that leads really well into something that I know Jason was really excited to talk about. So for context, I think that this came up because we were all speaking on this vegan cruise in 2014. Almost was six it years. 2014? Oh, my was gosh. It? Was it? Or 15. Yeah, no, no I think 14. it was 14. Yeah. Yes. Yep. The first, because we all yes. did it for the first time yes, together, and then you went on to do one or two more. I just did one other. Okay, that was it. I think, yeah. And uh, I just remember we were all doing our food demos, and you know, learning more about each other. We were then... all so innocent back then. <laughs> well, me actually. Okay, before I get into the thing that I'm most excited to bring yeah. up, we were trying to also remember. I know that you were talking about your cheese wheels, and you were talking about how you accidentally made. A blue cheese, I think. It was something where like the mold spread across the whole kitchen. Yes. Accidentally. And then that's how you found out. Was it blue cheese? I, well, I think, well, it happened with blue cheese and with Bloomy Rhyme, which is like a camembert. Right. So those molds can get in the atmosphere. You know how they first made blue cheese in the old days, right? No. So penicillin roqueforti, which is the blue mold, grows on bread. So when you get that blue mold that grows on bread, they cultured that and grew it in cheese. And then they just sort of, you know, somehow managed to refine that bacteria so that it would just do a certain thing. They refined it to create that flavor profile. So sometimes wow. penicillium broke 40 will grow in your refrigerator. So I had some butter in my refrigerator, our butter, Miyoko's butter. But it was like a prototype, but was it before you actually had it at market in 2014? In 2014, we threw it all out. No, we had just started producing. And oh my God, it was a brand new company. And the first few batches of the eight cheeses turned out really well. And then all of a sudden something got, I, well, I think first I, I started experimenting with Penicillium candidum, which is the the, bloomy, the the white mold that grows on like camembert and, and brie. Yes. And that got onto some stuff. And next thing you knew, the entire aging room was like, you know, brie, yay. And so we sold some of it. And then I, I you know, basically- I realized I couldn't do that anymore. And then the same thing happened with blue cheese, but that was an accident. I think that was a natural blue mold from the atmosphere that made blue cheese. And it smelled like blue cheese. You can test it. You can send it out to the lab to find out what it is. And so I actually did that fairly recently. And you know, the lab will come back and they'll, they'll say if it's penicillium candidum or penicillium 40. But I had some blue cheese, not blue cheese, butter in my refrigerator. 
and I pulled it out. It was way back in the back. Of, you know, do you have any science experiments in your refrigerator? Jason Ever? does. Oh, Jason. God, no, Never. I do. Yes, oh, yeah. there are some not me. strange uh, creatures in my refrigerator. Oh, yeah. It's very common. But, but anyway, so I, I found this butter that was way back there, and there was not a spot of mold on it. And I pulled it out of the bag because I had it in a plastic bag, and it smelled just like Roquefort. And I tasted it, although I couldn't see it, so I tasted it. It tasted just like Roquefort. No idea what that is. So, Some type of cheese? It, so, you know, I think it was butter. But the point is... No, I that, mean, like, what is Roquefort? Oh, so Roquefort is a type of cheese. Blue oh. cheese, a type of blue cheese. Oh, you've been oh, vegan too long, I know. baby. You know you've been yeah, vegan too long we when don't you know do not Roquefort know what these cheeses are. <laughs> <laughs> I should have known. We just left the fancy food show. Oh, yeah. It's cheese everywhere, right? Which, by the way, it's so neat at fancy food show when they put you're like walking down all these aisles and aisles of cheese, and then there'll just be one vegan company in there. That happened to you one year, right? Wasn't Miyoko's in the midst of the the cheese we, section? We one planted year? ourselves in the cheese section of the fancy food show. I think intentionally our very first year there. Yep. And we just did it on purpose, just to you know, just to have some fun. Yeah. Surprise, everyone. Were people cheese snobby? Like, oh, vegan cheese. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Some people, but then there were some that are really open-minded and they're really excited about it. But, you know, we've had people, you know, so we tried to apply to the California Cheese Society and, and we've submitted this application numerous times to keep turning us down. And um, there is a cheese fair that we tried, the California Cheese Guild or something, they have a cheese fair and we keep applying and they just keep saying no. They just reject us. Wow. They won't let us in. So, because to this day, to this day, well, I don't know if we've applied in the last year or so, right? But they had continually turned us down. That's so interesting. And you know, it reminds me of the times where vegans have entered contests that are mostly non-vegans, and the vegan product will win, right? Like cupcakes or like jackfruit tacos at a taco festival or something like that. I mean, it's really interesting how even amongst all those animal-based competitors or similar brands, I, I prefer to say, is there's a plant-based brand could still make people feel really, really good, like excited, right? Absolutely. It's all about the palate and the texture. It's not about the actual ingredients. And I always find that so interesting. My boyfriend has certain foods he thinks that he doesn't like. And he'll say to me, if I didn't know that was mushrooms, I would have really liked it. So it's almost like if you don't have to tell somebody what something is and they can try it before they get their preconceived mm -hmm. notions involved, then they may have a completely different reaction to it. This is interesting because obviously, Miyoko, you've been in the food business for so long. And I want to touch on that, obviously, like my first interaction with, with some of your products years ago. But I think this mainstream penetration of vegan cuisine has been an interesting evolution. I remember the first kind of mainstream introduction was when Amanda Cohen won Iron Chef, Chloe Coscarelli won Cupcake Wars. Yes. And then last year, I'm blanking on his name right now. I follow him on Instagram, but he won Top Chef. It was the first vegan in history to win Top Chef. Wow, really? I, I didn't know that. Okay. Right I'm blanking, but phenomenal chef. And uh, it also reminds me too, when you're watching Shark Tank and suddenly there'll be a vegan brand on Shark Tank. You're like, this is so cool. Like, yeah. you know, it doesn't feel like a vegan show, but... They've started to put more and more vegans on this mainstream show, just showing the how diverse plant-based foods can be or innovative yeah. is a better word. I think for all of this massive progress that we're all experiencing, and certainly you're at the forefront, Miyoko, with your creamery and your, your outstanding products, you've also come 
across some incredibly challenging situations regarding the verbiage mm-hmm. and what you mm-hmm. call your products and the resistance. So, wasn't there a lawsuit against your products at one point? There was a class action lawsuit. There suit, was, yes, for the term butter, but it was dismissed, and we had a very, very happy outcome. I can't really tell you how that settled. How happy it was? (laughs) It was extremely happy for everyone involved, including the animals. So we'll just leave it at that. Amazing. That's all I can say. Beautiful. Well, it is interesting, too, having all of us have kind of experienced watching the movement as having been in this world for each of us at least 10 years and seeing all these things change in terms of food production and vegan chefs being taken more seriously and social media shifting, and these food shows too. I mean, we're recording this episode right after the San Francisco Fancy Food Show, the winter Fancy Food Show, as they call it. And I'm amazed at how much it has changed in just a year or two. Oh, yes, yes, yeah. And they have a whole plant-based division. I mean, a plant-based, you saw that plant-based pavilion Pavilion, upstairs. It's small, but the point is, something like that wouldn't even have been a thought that would have occurred to anyone, you know, five years ago. Exactly. I remember hearing about this show for the first time in 2011 or 2012. And somebody said, uh, it's not worth going to because there's not a lot of vegan. It's all cheese. Right. It was. So I used to come <laughs> right. here like 20 years ago because I'd been in the food business for a long time. And it was 20 years ago. It was cheese, olive oil, salsa, and chocolate. That was it. <laughs> oh, maybe occasional potato chip, but that was it. Right. Was this wow. when you were doing Now and Zen? That's when I was doing Now and, and Zen. And would you showcase oh, the yeah. own turkey here? No, I just came to walk the show. Oh, you just came yeah. to walk. So you I weren't, just, okay. So so my first experience, Miyoko, when, when I first went vegan in uh, the mid-90s in Detroit, was this question, of course, of what in the name of God am I going to do for the holidays? That's right. And yeah. I remember one of my first exposures to meat analog per se or a substitute was finding Now and Zen, the own turkey. And that was my first introduction to you and my mom having one of your early cookbooks, which I actually, I think last year was looking on Amazon to see if there were copies. And I was like, whoa, Miyoko's old school cookbook. It was amazing. (laughs) Um, But for you, someone who has been so aligned with not only the ethics, but the creativity and the innovation of this industry, you're such a wonderful person to talk about, yes, the triumphs and the progress, but the immense number of challenges. And, And one of those things I want to touch on, because I feel like you have been so at the forefront of being courageous in this is a lot of the infighting that happens. And we see this not only in the vegan movement, but I think any social movements or movements that are done with an intention, I believe, of compassion, liberation, freedom, and equality. Mm-hmm. But in particular, you know, Whitney and I have been privy to at certain live events, you know, seeing you for lack of a better word, kind of go toe-to-toe with the opinions and perspectives of other people in the movement. And following you on Facebook and Instagram, I've also seen how other vegans and activists have tried to challenge you or shame you or do other things that I'm are- not vegan enough for them. Oh, boy. Right. So, yeah. so what's I'm not either. That? Like, What is up with this infighting <laughs> in the movement? Why do you think this happens? And why does this seem to be, if I may ask an overarching question, why does this seem to be endemic with every large social movement? You know, it's happened with all religions. I mean, just look at what's happened within the Christian movement and, you know, just every religion, there's been divisions and infighting. And it, I think it's it's all about ego and it's all about losing sight of what's really, really important. Um, you know, it's just in Christianity, let's go back to that. What was happening to Mary Magdalene and, and Jesus said, you, you know, he who is without sin, be the first to cast a stone. Mm-hmm. But we forget that. 
it's easier to be judgmental and hate to spew hate than to really show love. So veganism is supposed to be about compassion and love. Yes. So if you have a different opinion from someone else in the movement, why not just not say anything at all? Agreed. Um, and, <laughs> yeah. and still applaud them for, for doing something that you feel, you know, because they're still trying to do something. So why not do that? To me, it's showing a lack of true love, compassion, and leadership. Ugh. It makes me very, very sad. I, you know, I've been the butt of a lot of, I don't know, vegan hatred towards me. Because I, I'm just okay. Not, you know, I don't I understand don't that at all. How could that be? And would you mind being specific about what the the nature of this is? And sure, how do you respond to the, these things? I would love to know, like, what have people said to you? Well, for example, when we were in that accelerator program called Terra, which was an accelerator uh, program put on by Rabobank and uh, Rocket Space, which is a, like an accelerator incubator, you know, and things like Uber came out of that. Mm. And so we joined that program. It was a six-month accelerator, and we were partnering with Nestle within that program. And to share learnings, to talk about marketing, they help fund market research and focus groups that we never would have been able to afford on our own because it, you know, it would cost us a couple hundred thousand dollars. And I got a chance to know, get to know the people at, at Nestle, including the CEO of Nestle USA, and learned that you know they really they're selling off certain divisions, like they sold off their candy division, they sold off their ice cream division. They're investing more and more in plant based, and they really are trying to steer food, what they're trying to do, towards a, a more sustainable, healthy future. I mean, I, I really do sense that there is an authenticity and sincerity. Many of the employees there at the top leadership, I don't know about the ranks, but the leaders that I've spoken to, but I got attacked for even, you know, first there were rumors, oh my God, you know, I can't believe it. She sold to Nestle. Sold. So nothing like that ever happened. No money was exchanged. You know, they didn't invest in us even, but apparently according, you know, in the vegan rumor sphere or whatever you want to call it, we had sold to Nestle. I was in bed with the devil and people were started these boycotting campaigns and like never buy Miyoko's again. So that happened. And I went on Facebook and I spoke honestly about how I, how I believe we need to change the world. We don't have a lot of time left in, if, in, to reverse climate change. There's an imperative to, to move things as fast as possible. And you know we can remain pure and clean and everything, and we can go and sell at a farmer's market. We're just not going to impact things. There are right. big companies already, and it's going to be faster to get the movement, you know, to move that movement forward. If we can partner with them in a, in a smart way, if we can get in there and change their practices from within, rather than just you know following that pure and narrow path. I mean, the waters are muddied right now. They're not going to be pure for a while. If we want to create a vegan world, we're going to have to navigate through some muddy waters for a while. And so there's just been a number of things that I've been attacked for, and and uh, you know the list could go on and on. It's the same with sustainability too. I mean, I felt this. On my end, as people, because I call myself eco vegan gal, if I do one thing that somebody doesn't perceive as being eco friendly, oh my god, how dare I use the the word eco? Oh yeah, she's not right. even sustainable. Oh exactly. my god, exactly. And you just if you use a, a packaged product, people think, well, you can't because the zero waste movement is so big or minimalism is so big, which are phenomenal, but it, it's that perfection over progress mentality that some people have, and they don't realize that their perfectionism might be getting in the way of progress that's happening. exactly right and and that's you know we have that i mean plastic is another thing that that we're attacked on you know well we're not going to buy your product anymore because you're packed in pa plastic well you know if i didn't pack it in plastic i'd have a 12-day shelf life or something and i wouldn't be able to sell to, you know thousands of stores across the country and i have to make a choice which 
what which is going to make the bigger impact and right now the fact is compostables aren't where they need to be for a company like us to use they will be in a few years we're going to get there but in the meantime if i just tried to stay pure and clean it would be like game over so i'm trying to get as many people to be vegan that's my goal and i want to do it with delicious foods and i want to get in as many mouths as possible into as millions of mouths as possible and so Sometimes there's going to be compromises along the way, but I think we can move things along so that we are a truly sustainable company you know, without plastic in the next five years. I think we'll get there, but we're not there yet. But you also, what a lot of people don't realize about the food industry too, is it takes money. Yes. Right? So you have, have to not only hire your employees and pay for production and get marketing budgets, all of these things that go into it. And it's kind of like when it comes to organic and people thinking, well, it needs to be organic or I'm not buying it, but they don't realize how much money it takes to be organic or how much time it takes or the work that it takes to go into that. So it's like we need to focus on the efforts that people and the, and the steps that they're making towards it versus somebody being there already. It's like if we rush things, then sometimes rushing things actually ends up in disaster. That's right. It, it, absolutely right. You know, I just want to encourage people, embrace the progress, applaud people who are trying to make the world better that putting them down, criticizing them, boycotting, when uh, people that are trying to make a change for the better isn't going to help the world. It will slow down progress and it won't convert people to veganism. It scares them away. I mean, I can say I have convert that my company has succeeded in converting lots of people to veganism. And so I know we're having an impact. But if, if I spent my entire day on social media bashing other companies and other people because they weren't up to my standards. I don't think anyone would listen to me. I don't think I would succeed in converting one person to being vegan. And all it does is make me feel like I'm better than thou. And what's the point of that? Really, what is the point? You said it in the beginning, you said ego. It's it's this idea that perhaps someone feels so unheard, unseen, or disempowered that by criticizing, attacking, and spreading hate, they have a they have skin in the game. They have a, a voice. They have a perspective that they feel is powerful and righteous. But you know, I, I just want to applaud you, Miyoko, for the compassionate and conscientious way you have re- responded, not reacted, right? Because I feel like whenever we are well, I have. I mean, at times, you know, it's like <laughs> in the middle of the night, like three a.m. And I read something, like, oh my god, <laughs> well, I mean, and, and then I take made those mistakes. <laughs> I've done that before. For the most part, I think that. Obviously, the resistance and the challenges you have faced, not only from within the movement, but certainly outside forces, requires a certain perspective and energy. So, you know, my question is, how do you approach the challenges you face, the personal challenges, the business challenges? Do you have a meditation practice? Do you have a spiritual practice? You know, how do you stay centered, clear, and grounded and able to respond to what the madness that's been thrown at you. Okay. Well, madness represents a tiny, tiny, tiny percent of what I encounter. For the most part, what I encounter is what's on your hat, love. And I am surrounded by people that support me and my company and everything that we're doing. I feel so blessed to have resonated in a positive way with most people. And so there are those haters out there. And you know what? I have compassion for them. I'm sorry you're in pain and that you have to throw vegan eggs at others. But please try not to do that. And you know, we just have to spread compassion. We have to spread love and rise above that. Yes. And so do you surround yourself with positive people to offset it? 
as Jason was asking, do you have any sort of spiritual practice or any, anything in your life that helps you get through those tough days? Absolutely. I mean, first of all, I think everyone at work is just phenomenal. I have such an amazing team. It's a high just being there because everyone is so committed, so excited about what they're doing. You probably sense that at the booth. Oh, yeah. You know, Every it's, time. It's just, uh, there's a really a great team. So I have that. And then I have the animals. You know, I have my wonderful dogs and cats, but then I also have the like the goats I have and the pigs and, you know, the, the wonderful, I mean, there's some pretty magical animals that really calm me down. They just, an hour of shoveling manure is enough to reset you. Yes. (laughs) Perspective there, right? That's truly being of service. Oh my gosh. I love that. The healing power. Well, speaking of healing power, I know that one of the things that Jason wanted to touch upon today is a talent that you have beyond food. This is true. Well, this comes back to what we started with at the very beginning, which was the cruise. Okay. So we started talking about your experiments in the kitchen. And I remember that story when we were on the cruise. And I also remember you did a dance performance and everybody was stunned. Like who knew Miyoko had those moves? I can't dance, but Charlie could. So he was just throwing me around. You you (laughs) came out and you did this cabaret type of performance, which was this beautiful throwback jazz cabaret thing where you sang and you performed. And I was just slack jawed because A, I didn't know you had that in you. I didn't know you could do that. And I was like, oh my God, Miyoko is an amazing performer. I'll never forget that moment because the the surprise of it was you just went for it and you owned it. Yes. And I remember you told us about your your previous passion, your previous career as a performer, which I don't think publicly anybody knows about will you please like dive into that for a second because i to this day i'm still like wow miyoko is a badass like it was mine no it was mind-blowing actually can i pause for a second so my boyfriend has he's not vegan at the moment but he's He's really pre-vegan he's pre-vegan yes and he has said to me honest i'm not saying this to pat your ego maybe a little bit i think sometimes we deserve a little pat but uh, he said that he thinks your butter, the Miyoko's butter, is the best vegan product out there. Oh, thank you. And before he saw you, he just saw you in person for the first time yesterday when Jason and I were teasing him and we're thinking like, okay, don't get nervous around Miyoko. We know that you're a huge fan of hers. And he said to me before he, he saw you in person, he goes, you know what? I picture Miyoko as the superhero. You know, this and there's this there's this HBO show that came out fairly recently called Watchmen. And it stars this badass female superhero who's just like on this mission to right wrongs, basically, from how I perceive her. Right. And so that's what he was saying that you were. And I think to Jason's point, you do have that energy, whether you're intending on it or not, where you just kind of come in. And you're powerful, and people are just amazed. I, I always by just you. picture myself as this little old Japanese lady. <laughs> I always think like that. <laughs> that's not how I perceive it. Okay. First of all, not old. Okay. You just have this ageless mm. way about you. Well, that's great. Thank and you for saying that. Yeah, more, just, more, more, more. <laughs> <laughs> fluff it up, fluff it up. I just, uh, yeah, I, I back up what Jason was saying. You just, you, one of your superpowers is that you have this presence about you and you and we're curious where did that come from is I know I don't not even aware of it so. wow maybe it's just an innate thing that you've always had people said that about you your whole life I, you know I don't know I mean I, 
Yeah, I mean, I used to want to be a performer at one time, you know, when I was young and, you know, just like, well, you know, we, you get that performance bug. I was, I wanted to be a jazz singer. And that was my, one of my uh, goals in my 20s. And you were I performing, to, weren't you? I was. I, wow. I sang at little clubs, you know, like, you know, I did my, I, as I always say, I did my share of $50 gigs all oh. over. <laughs> so, you know, mainly in you know, Tokyo, San Francisco, until I had, um, you know, I became a single mom. And then I remember going to, a, I had a gig and I got a sitter and it was my first gig since I'd had a baby. And um, it was at this really nice club. And I was like, yes, I finally got the, a, a serious gig, pays more than 50 bucks, 75, who knows. So I go there and I just totally bombed. It was, I'm like, I was totally off that night. I hadn't sung in a while. And you know, it was just one, like, you know how sometimes when you perform, like you're really in it. And there are other times you're just like not quite on and you're just off and you just can't. And I was just off that night. And I got, I just plumped, you know, because performance is, is wrought with ego. I mean, it really is because, you know, you, you're trying to validate yourself on stage. I think that's, and a lot of us who are performance driven, you know, are, do have insecurities. And so we gain that security by being on stage and having people applaud us. And then we feel better about ourselves. Don't you agree? I mean, it's, it's true. But then it's so temporary it's that temporary. as soon as you get off stage, That's right. you want it again. You want it again. And so, but anyway, but I also just love jazz and I love being able to take a, a song, especially a ballad and just shape it in different ways. And, and I just wanted to move people with my music. That was my goal was like, can I touch somebody with that? But anyway, I was so off that night and I just decided, you know what? I can't do this. I was trying, I was, I had a little bakery. I had a little wholesale bakery. I was a single mom and I was trying to run a business in San Francisco and trying to sing at night. And if you're trying to do something like jazz, like you got to go hang out, you got to hang out at night, you know, and got to go sit in with musicians and hang out until 1am. And you know, with a baby, I couldn't do that. And I just decided I can't do this anymore. And I just, I just stopped. I was so embarrassed like that night that I totally bombed. It was so anyway, but it was, it was fun while it lasted. And you know, I still love jazz and still love my daughter plays a little piano. Occasionally we'll, we'll sing in the living room. You will. Oh, yeah, that's lovely. So, yeah. so music is still obviously something that's dear to your heart and important. And you listen to it. You perform obviously at home from time to time. But time it, to, yeah. And then, you know, I, I've you done it at a couple of uh, summer fests that, you know, I got up on stage with Dr. Clapper. He plays the sax. That, wait, wait, um, hold on a second. Yeah. yeah so, <laughs> Hold on. Yeah. So no, no, Do- not Dr. No, Dr. Clapper. Bernard. Michael Grieger. Wait, Michael, uh, Michael Michael Gregor. Gregor. Gregor plays sax. So at Summerfest, <laughs> we did this. We did this. This whole cabaret number. He played sax. I sang. Someone else played piano. It was funny. It was okay, hilarious. I need to jump That's in here actually, really quick. I think you can find that on YouTube. That whole performance. Okay, we're gonna yeah. put it in the show notes yeah. at wellevator.com. It was like we did like a, like I love instead of you know. I love to do 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 do. Yep. Uh, the Gershwin. Yeah, George the Gershwin, Gershwin too. Song. But we did yeah. like. Who could um, ask for anything could, more? Yeah, yes. but we did. I love tofu. It's like, yeah, <laughs> I love tofu. I love tempeh, or something like that. <laughs> now the you two just totally of you, improvised yeah. it. but see, the two of you combined would be amazing because Jason's also very good at improvising little tracks like that, and I love that. I mean, it's so interesting that you both have that in common. I well, here's here's another layer deeper. I uh, I recently did a project with um, Switch for Good, which is the the Dotsie. Yeah, we did a. We did a whole great uh, campaign for the 2020 Olympics in Tokyo where there's going to be a commercial coming out with a bunch of, I don't know if I'm allowed to, I just said it, I guess it's out there. We're doing a whole thing with plant-based athletes. I love it. I did not know this, but she went on this whole tirade about how Dr. Neil Bernard has this 
acid rock jazz thing. Oh, yes. And yes, he's this yes, incredible yes, yes, yes. musician. He is. You can find him on YouTube. He's incredible. Okay, so mind yes. blown there. Yes. Then we go on this rant about Tal Ronan, the amazing uh, uh, vegan chef right. who was behind Kite Hill and Crossroads. Right. Yes. A, a sick bass player. Oh, my and then God. And we were like, we need to form a vegan we, all-star group. We oh. not you and me. About oh my Gregor, god! Yeah. And we oh my to, god! We totally need to go Yoko, on the road. If it's at Plant Based World uh, in New York, uh, uh. if we can all get oh together in the same my, place at the same that time, that would be so fun. Love People it. would lose their minds. <laughs> they would. Oh, we got to do that. We got to do that. Okay. I want us to pitch a note. Can we please pitch we, this? Yes, we should pitch it. Because if we were we gotta the get entertainment, there, oh my god! And we we selected maybe some we standards, pack, right? That's right. People would go nuts. Oh, they would go nuts. I didn't know any of them did this. Oh, this is great. That we is actually really okay. cool. It's kind of like when you find out that an actor, like, isn't Keanu Reeves a musician? He's too? a great bass player too. Is he right. Yeah, and he, then, had a, he had a band um, in the '90s called Dog Star. Right. Right. Wow. Right. It's like when you find huh. out somebody. That's why we wanted to bring this up mm-hmm. about you, Mioka, because we just think it's so interesting when you learn something about someone that you've viewed, and we've talked about this. We had an episode Another on identity. Episode. Yes, and how people want to put us in boxes and say, well, you're just this one thing. And if they learn about you as that one thing, then you, they never see you outside of that. And so sometimes we have to really remind people over and over again that we don't fit into a box, right? Your products might fit into a box, but you, Miyoko, <laughs> don't fit into a box, right? Good and one. so it, it's... It's really interesting. I think it's not only important to remind ourselves to communicate that effectively to people if we want to, but also to remember that about other people, mm-hmm. right? Is that just because we perceive somebody in a certain way right. as this one-dimensional being, there's so much there's more so to much them. There's so much more to them. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Like even the people that are struggling, as you were saying, mm-hmm. Miyoko, and how a lot of the, the mm-hmm. trolls, the haters... They're probably just in a lot of pain. I think that's what they are. They're just, and there's some beauty because they obviously care about the animals. So there is some beauty deep inside there. Yeah. Or the people that seem to not care about animals, you know, that they've got their own story for however, whatever reason they don't. And ultimately they do. They do care. I mean, they just don't know that, you know, we just have to help uncover that. Yes. You, you clearly, Miyoko, have had such a passion for arts from the music to being a culinary artist. Why is creative expression so important to you? Why has artistry played such a role in your life? What does that mean to you? Why is it important for you to continue to do that? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting because I, I think I, it's what I grew up with. My mom was an artist. She was a stuffed animal designer. And my parents were entrepreneurs. They had their own business. They had this, this toy business that they had started. My mom was the designer. My father sold it. And uh, they had a little manufacturing company, so I kind of grew up in that. My brother, you know, you met Rob. He, he's an art, yeah. You know, he, you know, he's been in the animation business for years, and seems like everyone around me has always done some sort of art, whatever it is. So I think creativity is how we touch the world, and most of us want to express something. You know, it's if you have that gift, in if you can channel it into one of the arts, then I think it's a responsibility to give that to express that to the world. Yeah. How so recently, a re, a, well, a semi-recent development obviously has been so much of the wonderful coverage about you partnering with Ellen and Portia. And so this all obviously brings up this main, more mainstream conversation about the power of celebrity and celebrity endorsement. So on both sides of the coin, what have people responded to with that partnership? Have people been like, oh my God, this is amazing. And, and I guess what, what has that been like for you? Because that's a massive step forward to have someone on that level speaking publicly about their love for your product 
And the rarity of that, because in the vegan movement, we've seen that happen in terms of, say, books, not so much in terms of, of public companies, but when a celebrity would pick up a vegan book and then it just explodes in the public consciousness. Or the movie, all the documentaries out there get sure. a lot of coverage. Yeah. In a general sense, I mean, not Ellen and Portia singularly, but how do you see the role of celebrity and famous people well, bringing this movement to another level? What, what is that just like? happened about two weeks ago at the Golden Globes? Right. They went vegan, yes. right? The whole, and we were down there. We had our products down there. Wow. They ordered, they served their, you know, the Beverly Hills Hilton ordered our products and and we also had a little booth down there. So I, so I think it's the power of celebrity can be used to shape how the average American thinks, yes, what what they buy, etc. So I am so happy that Hollywood celebrities are getting on board with the vegan idea and just you know making it sexy and hot. So that I think that's going to change people's consciousness. I think it'll make so many people think, oh my god, you know, vegan is sexy. That's the new cool. And so then I'm we have all so the athletes and the athletes who are showing that it's not just that's sexy right. and cool, but it's also something it's, that can make you strong that's and right. improve your performance. I think that's why the Game Changers documentary, which I still haven't seen oh, for the record. See, yeah, oh my god! I keep meaning to see it, but it's one of those things. Sometimes, well, where everyone's like, seeing it vegan. for you. Yeah, yeah everyone's, everyone's already talking it about you, it. So so but I do. I would like to see it and have my own perspective on it. But I think that that movie is really impacting people because it's it's showing that veganism can actually it, it's not going to get in your way of being an athlete it's not going to no it's going to enhance yes. your being an yes. athlete and you know i i want to just uh tip my hat to Luis Ahoyos, the uh, the director producer of that movie he also did racing extinction the oscar winning documentary the cove and now he's working on a new film about food and he's a vegan he wants to spread veganism this is his his one goal. He wants to change people's perceptions. So we've got some major talent. Then, you know, and that of course was backed by James Cameron. So we've got major, major Hollywood talent trying to push this message to the American public, and it's going to resonate. It's such an effective communication method. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, more so than than people picketing and and boycotting this, that, and the other thing. Right. So it's you know we got to make it as sexy, as phenomenal, as the hottest thing that you can possibly do is to go vegan. So we can use entertainment, creativity, and art. That's right. For activism. That's exactly and right. That's and food. Um, and food. Don't forget food. Yeah. They're all forms of activism. And and there are forms of activism that inspire people and enrich their lives. Right. It doesn't shame them. It doesn't make them feel bad. Because shaming and guilt and making people feel bad, it just doesn't work. You got to inspire them. You got to give them the superpowers. You got to make them feel like they are also effective change makers. Yes. And you can do that through the arts. You can do that through creativity. You can do that through food. But you don't do that by putting them down. So well said, Miyoko. Yeah, it's it's tough for any progress to be made by putting people down. Right? <laughs> it's like it just gets in the way. But I think that we still have a lot to learn. And, and I don't know if we'll ever be a, at a point as human beings where we we won't be negative or critical. You know, I think about that a lot. We, There's always this dream of world peace. And I guess we all have our dif- different definitions of what world peace means. But a lot of us have this idea, oh, why can't we all just get along? I don't know. Maybe we're not meant to all get along, but we can certainly try. <laughs> we know, we like can't give decision. up. We, we got to keep trying. I yeah. mean, we have to keep trying, you know. Yep. The people, as, as we... Probably, I feel energetically we're getting closer to wrapping this episode up, but I, I would love to know Miyoko for 
people who are making a difference in this world, whether that is in the vegan movement, the sustainability movement, I mean, there's so much overlap in, in our activism and our heart for people feeling like it might be too late or that it's hopeless or why bother? Because to be honest, I sometimes battle with that. And I talk to other activists and artists and people we know, friends of ours, that it's like, man, there are some days it's like, why are, why bother? Like, is it too late? And I don't know if you have that conversation with people or you might have those thoughts ever. You seem so optimistic. What advice or, or message would you give perhaps some of the listeners if they have those type of feelings? How do we continue to move forward with positivity and optimism and power, even when we have perhaps feelings of hopelessness. Yeah. And hopelessness is something that gets to a lot of people and that negativity can beget negativity. But even if you think in your head that it's hopeless, in your heart, you have to believe in hope. You have to believe as if you have free will and that your free will can determine the future. If you give up on that, then all is lost. So you can only count on your own heart and you just have to keep driving. You know, I think we all, especially if you're an artist, if you're a creative person, we plunge into despair and depression so much more than a lot of people who, who don't think deeply about things because we're thinking deeply about things all the time. But I don't know. I, first of all, I'm surrounded by love and I feel that love just gives me so much hope. And when I look into the eyes of our animals, the goats and the pigs, how can I give up? They, I have to create a world where they're going to survive. If I give up, then what's going to happen to them? If you give up, what's going to happen to them? If you give up, what's going to happen to them? We can't. We share the world with people. If we really, really care about all living beings on this planet, human and non-human, we can't give up. We have to keep going. We have to keep going until we achieve the most beautiful world. Not until it's over, because we will create the most beautiful world. We have to do it. I think it's such a powerful message because I love researching how to be successful, right? What leads to a difference and in our personal lives, but on a global level, it, any step forward is progress. So whether it's a big step forward, multiple step forwards, or just a tiny step, it's about creating that momentum. And I think that if we just think about it as any movement is powerful. Any movement is powerful. You give up meat for one meal, that's powerful. Yes. And, you know, I don't know, for me, my goal in life now is, you know, isn't to become the world's famous jazz singer or the, be, to, you know, to be crowned as the queen of vegan cheese. <laughs> my, my goal in life is to inspire people to become change makers, to feel empowered. You know, whether it's one little thing they do or a lot of things. And that's all I want to do is hopefully be able to inspire people to take up the cause and not give up. Do you see yourself doing Miyoko's? It's Miyoko's Kitchen right now. Not, was it Creamery at one point? So it's, it's been confusing. The corporation is Miyoko's Kitchen. The brand is Miyoko's Creamery. Does that make sense? Uh, yes, yes, 100%. So kitchen, though, could mean things other than creamy foods. It could be. Okay. Yes, it could definitely be other things in the future. <laughs> <laughs> Do you see that. yourself in the kitchen for in the indefinite, or are you just taking it year by year? Like for well, you we with have the a product, path. We have a product pipeline. You know, so we've got the next couple of years mapped out. And, you know, we, we think it's smart growth strategies. You know, we know what the white space is in the marketplace and what we need to come out with. And we have a road, 
So that's really important to have that strategy and figure out what channels you're going to go into to really think about that in a, in a smart way. And we do that not just by doing market research and just, you know, or using our own tuition, but we also talk to buyers to fi- at store, at retailers to find out, you know, what are you looking for? What do you think is, is needed? Well, you know, there's a jazzy vegetarian, but there's not a jazzy vegan as far well, as I know. Well, that's the new show there, <laughs> the jazzy vegan. Wouldn't that be amazing? Yeah. I'm sh- were you ever on? Were you on that show, the Jazzy Vegetarian, as a guest or something? Were no, you ever never, involved? never. Vegan mashup. Yeah, vegan mashup. Me- Vinoko the- had the series Vegan Mashup, yeah. which was way ahead of its time. I mean, I feel like that pantheon. Like we we talked about this years ago. Like and you had the show. True, like the how to. I mean, we both did right, and that was around the same time, like 2013, 2014, Vegan Mashup and How to Lift 100. I feel like and Jazzy Vegetarian, well, and also what would Juliana do? Like 2014. 2013, 2014, there were four vegan series. I think they were too soon. I mean, yeah, I, yes. I, mean, I mean, like now would be the time. I'm, yes. I'm surprised no one's talked to you but, again. But, but, that's, yeah. but the shock though, Miyoko, is, is, you know, six years ago, there were four series, vegan series people could watch on television. And now there's nothing right now. And that blows my mind because it's bigger than it's ever been now. Bosch have a show in the UK. Oh, yeah. Oh, they do? Yes. Yeah. A series. Yep. Yeah. Oh, oh, so I think there's a lot too, yeah. of little things happening that we, the mainstream, right, just, right. or the U.S. mainstream, however, but we'll some get of us there. just don't know. There's, we're at a point where there's so much going on that it, you can't even keep track, and that's a beautiful. No, thing. I can't even. I mean, there's, and you know, there, I'm finding new YouTube channels all the time. I mean, there's so much talent out there; it's mm-hmm. amazing. And I think there always has been. It's yes. just that social media has supported us in getting that's the word right. out more than ever. Well. As much as we would love to just talk and talk and talk. But we have parties to go we to. We have parties <laughs> to go to this evening. And uh, perhaps Jason yeah. and I can uh, share the behind the scenes of what the party was like in our next episode. Whenever We never know when these episodes are going to come out. We kind of just follow them organically. So to the dear listener, you can find all of the notes on this episode, more information about Miyoko, the videos, the music, all of these different things we discussed will be in the show notes at wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R. If you go to the podcast section of our website, you can find this episode and find all the links, the transcript, whatever you would like. And uh, if we do another follow-up episode with Miyoko one day, or if we talk more about the parties we're about to go to, whatever we do, we will post there for you. And I mean, there's it's hard to know exactly how to end, but I feel like Jason has one more thing. My only request, Miyoko, is is that I would like to come take another trip to Rancho Compassion because that a few years ago when I came to visit you and we shot that incredible video, it literally, and I don't use this word lightly, I had a moment of this is paradise. Well, we have quite a few more animals paradise. living in paradise, so come and visit them. Truly. So I would love to come and see them again and um, and just immerse myself in that beautiful, beautiful, compassionate paradise. As long creative. as you shovel some manure. I am happy. It's a never-ending <laughs> thing because on a farm, shit happens <laughs> all the time. Such is life. To the tune of about 300 pounds a day. we'll shovel shit for pets (laughs) we'll shovel shit for vegan food (laughs) thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today for show notes and more high performance resources to help you thrive go to wellevator.com that's w-e-l-l-e-v-a-t-r.com